Hello, everyone. Welcome to Just Jana, a podcast where each month I'll speak to a variety of industry leaders to bring you education, trends, and relevant topics in franchising. I'm your host, Jana Bailey, CEO of FranNet. Welcome to Just Jana. I'm very pleased to have with me today a good friend and a business partner, Nick Polis from, and I'm going to let him tell you all the froms because he's got multiple organizations that he oversees. So Nick, please introduce yourself to the audience and a little bit about your background and the multiple entities that you now have. Sure. Thanks, Jan. I appreciate that. Uh, so the easiest way to put it is we are, I'm, I'm the CEO of Mainland. Uh, a while back, uh, what we realized with our different verticals, which we had at that point, uh, a PR arm called No Limit Agency, mm-hmm. uh, content marketing arm called 1851, uh, that we got pigeonholed into a category of just doing PR. Um, and for anybody that knows me, I'm very uh, focused on disruption. Uh, so being labeled as PR didn't work for me. And I said, let's change our name, which the name Mainland uh, NLA is in the middle of the spelling. So it was done on purpose so that no limit agency could continue on. Um, but it ends up being the holding company of our franchise side and then our non-franchise, which we have a state envy which is a publication for everything the home. We have Room 1903, which is travel and hospitality. We have Stash Cow, which is personal wealth and finance, uh, with another five or so that are going to come online next year. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize you had all of those things. I knew about the 1851 and about Mainland, but this is amazing, Nick. Tell, Tell us a little more. So... Again, I mean, take the word disruption. Um, I feel that PR and marketing uh, and advertising and measurement need to be disrupted. So first we focused in on our conveyor belts. Uh, we start with the why you, why now? It's such a simple statement. Uh, a lot of brands don't have it. If you say, tell me why you, why now? Uh, even if you say that to a human being, uh, they tend to say, well, let me read you my resume. And so if we can help a brand determine what is their positioning and why would anyone care to act now, uh, then everything else turns tactical. Um, I believe that most agencies sell tactics, but tactics don't work unless there's strategy. So when we put that on the front end of it to say, let's be a consultancy first, now all of a sudden the tactics started to have uh, more value. So then comes owned, owned could be content, it could be digital, it could be social, it could be web, it could be video. Um, Now that we frame the story, when we go do PR at this point, now we have purpose. So it's not just us saying, hey, can you write about insert brand? It's us saying, here's their why you why now. Uh, This point, most agencies fail too, in my opinion. They're like, hey, we got you the Wall Street Journal. And you're like, that was awesome. But news moves so fast Mm -hmm. that that Wall Street Journal story is only going to have a certain amount of human beings that it captures. So that's where we start putting paid against it to say, let's identify the right people in the right markets and take this Wall Street Journal story that we're very proud of. And we can see that it's filling up the funnel in some some shape or form. 
And now let's increase the audience and then let's look at data and analytics. So when we nailed the conveyor belt, now it didn't matter what the widget was, whether it was franchising, whether it's consumer home, whether it's travelers, it just didn't matter anymore because the conveyor belt ended up being the secret sauce. Fantastic. So where do you spend most of your time these days? Uh, well, there's the the true answer and the, the PR answer. I'll give you the true <laughs> answer. Uh, so during COVID, I mean, we had a 50-person office in Chicago, a 10-person office in Dallas, uh, and then COVID hit. And a year later, I found myself being the only one going into this 50-person office. Uh, and so part of our journey during COVID was to say, well, in, in the way that obviously all this technology works, it's like we're in a room together. Let's go find talent where talent lives, um, not demand that they come into the office. Let's go try to find the most talented human beings that exist. So that creates challenges because now you have to figure out how are we going to build a culture? Uh, mm -hmm. How are we going to go through transitional periods? Um, how are we going to strengthen uh, education and onboarding and training? So the true answer is probably a little bit too much, too heavy on the on the P on the HR side uh, than I want to be. Uh, if I said the PR answer, I'd be like, oh, always thinking and being strategic and working on the business, um, <laughs> probably more so in the business currently, uh, with a light at the end of the tunnel that seems to show that we're making some progress on it. Great. Well, you you hit on something I struggle with all the time. How much time do I need to be spending in versus on the business? And it's tough, especially when, you know, it, it's your baby as it as it is for you. I know. Well, I think I think a, a mistake that a lot of business owners make is they get stuck in the business. But mm -hmm. bigger, bigger than that, they get stuck as the business. So if if when when comes time to exit, if you don't think about how do you operationalize the business to not include you, right. then valuation decreases significantly. And people that say, I'm going to be in this business forever, or I'm going to hand it down to my kids. Eventually, you're either going to exit, whether life makes you exit, or you decide to exit. You're going to act, everybody exits a business. And I think if you try to prepare for that moment, whenever it is, and think through how do you change your operational structure to be working on it as much as possible. Yeah. Even if you have to jump back in because you know how to do it, uh, I think it sets up long-term success for any any business owner. Well, I couldn't agree more. So tell me what the future of brand and PR marketing is going to look like in 2023. Um, it's it's going to be complicated. And we can see that now with all of the layoffs that are happening. Um, I will, I'll, I'll frame it in the world of franchising that I think the biggest error by brands uh, in the franchise space has happened in 08, 2020, and will happen in 23. And the reason being is when you have layoffs, it's a career transitional moment. Right. And when you get laid off, you're typically somewhat surprised and so now you're in this place where you're saying, screw the man, I want to see what else is out there. And so most franchisors ride alongside the economy, and therefore it gets turbulent. They scale back spend, they scale down on marketing, they don't get their story out about why anyone would want to buy the brand, and all recessions end, and we get to the other side of it, 
brands are like, oh, we should have accelerated. And they they don't look backwards and say, here were the missed opportunities. So branding and PR for 23 is also going to tee up things for 24 because we're going to go into an election year. Right. So we have lots of turbulence over the next 24 months. Um, and therefore, the why you, why now saying, why would anybody care about joining this is good. But above that, I think more than anything is the term support. Most brands mm-hmm. say we support our franchise owners. And you say how they go training and operation. It means nothing. Like you got to define how you're going to help someone who has never mm-hmm. been a business owner before. Give them the guiding principles. Give them the scaffolding. Give them the ability to change wealth or build wealth for their family. And showcase that in what you do as a franchisor to get that out in front. So I say that because that's where marketing, PR, it, it doesn't matter what the tactic is. Storytelling is going to have to get in front of making the candidate feel comfortable and confident if you want to take advantage of a turbulent economy, which I think the be- better and best brands will do so in the next 24 months. Thank you. So from your viewpoint, you've just kind of hit on it. What do you expect? I mean, you watch for a lot of trends. What do you think the fran- how the franchise industry is going to fare in 2023 if they pay attention to not cutting back and actually going in more I mean, marketing? If at, than- yeah, if you look at 2008... Uh, and you, uh, I love this case. So you look at Marco's Pizza. It, it, if we're being honest, it's not like it's a amazing pizza. It is a mediocre, fast delivery. It competes against everybody else in the category. It's not mm-hmm. like blow me away pizza. But what they did is they educated their buyers on what franchising was and continued to spend during 08. So you go from a regional chain to one of the bigger players by taking advantage of that moment. So the brands that do this right will get to the other side of this and say, yes, maybe I didn't get to spend as much. Maybe EBITDA changed, but I was not looking at selling in in 23 and 24. I was looking at exiting in 25, 26 or 27. It's going to change the the projections of where those businesses go. So from a trend standpoint, uh, at at the beginning of this year, we said, all right, we talk with franchisees on a daily basis. Let's aggregate the data to start understanding the candidate journey. And it's it's not perfect because I'm going to use a broad statement. And I like getting micro into the investment level. Mm-hmm. Broad stroke, 6.4 months from the point I learn about a franchise to the point I inquire. That's not buy, that's inquire. Wow. So if you bought ads today in November, you're looking to play for March, April, and May of next year. So if you don't strike now, you're already going to be behind on this recessionary period. Also, those brands that came out of the gates during COVID and said, yes, it's turbulent. We're going to see another side of this. If you want to open up our brand, it's going to take nine months. So you buy now, you're going to open when things are getting better. And so the franchise buyers that said, I'm going to take a leap, during COVID, say in June, July, August, start opening this year or, or last mm-hmm. year, now the sudden their businesses are, are, are going. So from a trend standpoint, 6.4 months across all investments, under 150,000, it's a little bit over two, two months from inquiry to, to mm-hmm. or from impression to inquiry. So knowing that data as it exists today could be super valuable to what you can do as a franchisor 
uh, in the turbulent economy. Thank you. Um, there, there's a lot of you know rumors in our industry. Um, there's a lot of people still beating their chest and saying what a fantastic year they've had. And then there's others that are saying this has been one of the roughest years they've ever experienced. So you get to see a lot of different brands. What's your perspective on 2022 and what's been going on? Yeah, I think perspective is uh, the issue. So what happened going into 2022, you have some CEO, uh, whether they were brought in or not, they could be a le uh, legacy CEO and they come in and they go, we want 25 deals this year. And you say, okay, how many did you do last year? And they say 10. Say, okay, so you're going to multiply the budget by two and a half. Well, no, same budget. Okay, so now we're hoping for unicorns. But what that does is that's perspective mm -hmm. that I'm failing in 22 when if you look at what was your budget, what were your actuals, and they end the year at 10, even though that was what they were conditioned to do, the perspective, they look at things half empty because right. their expectations were, were out of line. So the brands that come out and say, we're crushing it are because they went into 22 and said, we're going to be realistic. We're going to feed our budget the right way. And we're going to look at the predictability of our funnel and we're going to be happy about it. So when I hear these brands saying, I'm disappointed with how 22 went, I say, let's go backwards. When you started the year, did you equip your development team with the tools to actually win. Most time they're no. The other thing that I've noticed, uh, we have a brand that we're assessing right now, legacy brand. Uh, they've wavered over hundred units a few times. Um, and they said, our goal is to sell 25 next year. I said, how many did you sell this year? Zero. Year before, zero. Okay. So you want to get from zero to 25. That's somewhat aggressive. Um, in essence, you're going to need, I would say, somewhere between $25,000 and $50,000 per deal in franchise marketing to get that done. Oh, we're not spending that. Okay, then you have another option. I said, grow fatter. I'm like, what does that mean? I said, if you can make your franchisees more successful in inches, that's going to increase your bottom line, which right. strengthens your EBITDA, that when you go to exit, you did it without adding one. You didn't even have to add one unit. You just hyper-focus in on your franchisees. The other thing that happens in those cycles is your existing franchisees start to buy and the 25 come from internal, which in my opinion is the strongest and most validating growth that a franchisor can have. So from perspective standpoint, it might not always be like add more units. It might You might be able to... Mm -hmm look backwards and say, wait a second, our existing franchisees are raising their hands saying they want additional territory. Maybe your perspective is wrong on what losing and winning is. Thank you. That is great perspective. So what are you seeing in terms of, um, and this number goes around all the time, different conferences you'll hear, what's the average spend is to get a deal? Is it just, is it really varied by the brands? I mean, I've heard everything from 12,000 to 16,000. Yeah, I think a mistake of the industry that we happen to be in is, is it goes back to even that 6.4 months. I can tell you 6.4 months, but you got to dive into size of brand. Uh, are, are there franchisees making money? So if you start at the beginning stage and say, what's the vision? Is there leadership and support? Uh, what's the cost to get in? How much can I make? What territories are available? Because, you know, mm -hmm. a brand that's sold out of a ton of territories right. again, struggle in the micro ones. Uh, what, what does our product look like? Do we have a clear point of differentiation? And what's our validation look like? 
Now all of a sudden you can start saying, here are the, here's how you need to examine how to get to what your cost per deal should be, because each of those those layers or levels can uh, levers can can move in different directions and impact the cost of deal. If validation's poor, double up your cost per deal because you can hear twelve thousand dollars from the franchise industry. That's mm-hmm. not correct. I think another another mistake that happens is brands get fearful of a total budget. So if it, let's say it's twenty five thousand dollars per deal, which that's the number I typically use doesn't matter who you are, budget that with that mindset. And then we can we can work through the math later. But when you do a rolling budget, every time you sign a deal, fill back up the budget with another 25. So you can get comfortable right. with the number. That's where, you know, I think the, the broker or coaching consultancies uh, provide tremendous value because it's not cash out of pocket. It's you're playing off the success of the business, which is, you know, really how PPC and Google even got success right. for performance. So cost per deal, my best advice, and very few listen to me, is first you need to engineer what your deal value is. And you can do it on a single unit. You don't have to look at scale. But in first year sales, how much are you going to get in royalty? Over the first three years, how much should you get? And you attach a deal value back to it. And let's just say that number is $25,000. Well, then $25,000. Are you willing to spend $25,000 to get $25,000? Maybe if you're playing for beyond three years. If you look at that number, which a lot of brands look at that number and say, we're going to get $500,000 in royalty over the next five years. And you say, go spend 50 grand. The answer should be absolutely. But for whatever reason, we we tie the value of a deal back to a franchise fee. Mm-hmm. And that's the wrong way to look at it. So long-winded to say, the answer to your question is industry tries saying 12,000. That is inaccurate. It's going to be specific to your brand and only your brand is going to know how much your cost per deal should be. Fantastic. Wow. I, I, you've given me a lot to think about as I'm doing my year in planning and, and planning for next year. So Nick, this was great. Um, before we wrap up, we've got an audience that's going to be some franchisors, some franchisees, and some prospective franchisees. And looking at that big audience, is there any one message you would send out to them? Yeah, I would say, and this keeps on coming up, uh, there, there's no there's no magic to franchise development. Uh, you, you tend to blame the wrong things. Look in the mirror. Oftentimes, a poor business is a poor business. And you tend to blame everybody else on why your brand's not growing. So look at that. Don't overlook taking a step backwards. I wouldn't pause everything because franchise sales is like a locomotive. If you right. if you call it, it's hard to get it back going. Uh, but reevaluate. Go to your own website and say, which most of them say, franchising. It's like, Mm-mm, that's not a why you, why now. So mm-hmm. if, if you're spending any money on marketing, any money on development, and you go look at that site and it doesn't convince you to inquire right now, mm-hmm. you got some fundamental work to do. And a lot of brands scale back their spend in, in Q4, use that time to reconfigure uh, what your growth plan is for next year. Anybody can win at franchising, but if you don't have a good business, go fix that make sure your franchisees are satisfied and making money. Uh, and when you're evaluating your your vendors or support tools, look at them as partners 
and say, honestly, what's the gap? And the, the last thing I'll say, and I think this is an unused asset, uh, some of the magic to how you can grow your brand can be found in those that have bought it. Don't overlook going back to your franchisees and saying, if we wanted to find one more of you, how would we do it? Oftentimes you can find a great answer or a good nugget within your existing franchisees. Fantastic advice. Well, Nick, thank you so much. And for our audience, I know you have found a lot of nuggets in today's session. Can't thank Nick enough. I'm not going to let him get off the line without promising he'll do this again with me sometime in 2023 and we can compare notes. Will you do that, Nick? Absolutely. Open invitation uh, or open acceptance of invitation. Fantastic. Well, audience, thank you all for being with us. And once again, thanks to Nick for sharing his insight. Hope you've enjoyed this session and we'll see you on the next episode of Just Jana. 